0: able to see what King Benjamin does and how he does it, but it's got to be against the backdrop of why he's doing what he's doing. So as we talked about last time, uh, we're looking at this timeline of uh, Book of Mormonness, and we've got uh, Jacob who's about 421 B.C., and Enos right behind him, and then we get this, we're talking about righteousness sake, Uh, we get uh, the Nephite Dark Ages where everything just kind of rolls off the table and we're going to see it in spades in just a second we get these Nephite dark ages where they just disappear underneath the mat and there's all kinds of things going on and it's this period of time where remember these are not the only people on the continent and so during this during the Nephite dark ages we're going to see the influence of the other indigenous people around them and the effect that they bring to them and what that and how uh The doctrine of Christ gets diffused, it gets spread out into surrounding people Um, and then as we're coming out of it uh, then we're going to get Zenith it's about 200, it's also about the time of Mosiah the first, and then uh, King Noah, it's going to be about here, and Abinadi and Mosiah and Benjamin are out here, okay and so we just have to remind ourselves that we're not in chronological order in the Book of Mormon. That that they're a little bit out of order, and if you'll do that, then it'll make sense, it'll make a little bit more sense to you. Okay. Question so far? Yeah. I don't remember the book of the... Yes, it's <laughs> it's it's actually written, and it says it's on the big plates held by the kings, and we have the small plates.
1: How do we know
0: that he was 200 years Uh If you look actually in your chronological thing in the scriptures, it'll tell you that it's about that. But it's also, uh, uh, you have to track what's happening with Mosiah the first when he makes his, uh, and, and hold on to that because we're going we're gonna to really talk about that a lot. just Because this is actually in my mind one of the really important lessons of this whole uh, period of time. Who Zenith was, why he did what he did, and the effect it had. alright so that said here's the other part again still kind of set up you need to take a look at how Nephite society works and it actually parallels a lot of what we see happening in in Israelite history and because they are Israelite and because they're still living the law of Moses it makes sense that they would follow these tracks so, what we're going to get here is first of all, there's going to be a line of kings. And these line of kings starts off with Nephi. He didn't want to be a king. They made him a king. So he agreed to do it. And then the king that follows him, his name is what? Nephi. Nephi. Very nice. According, that is how that was going to work. It's going to be Nephi II. But who but who is Nephi's high priest? Yes. Because on the other side here we're going to have the line of high priests. So think for a minute that you've got a line of kings and a line of high priests. And each one's have different duties. As Alma's going to find out down the road that the kings do king stuff and high priests do high priest stuff unless for certain periods of time it'll all fall under one hat. Okay? So under the line of kings... The next one here is going to be Nephi II, because we're going to specifically name a king. And, and as we've talked about before, when kings become kings, they take on oftentimes a new name. It may be the, the name they were born with, but probably not. It's a kingly name. We get that with Zedekiah, we get this with a lot of places here, and we're about to see it, I believe, with, with Benjamin. Okay? So we have Nephi the Second, and then Jacob is going to hand off to Enos. And then here comes the Dark Ages. And now there's a lot of, again, muffling going on here as you get this long period of time. We don't know what happens. And the first time we see a Nephi king reappear in the Book of Mormon, it is Mosiah the first. And so here's this period of time. And then, and then what happens to the high priests? Here's the real effect of the Nephite Dark Ages. That's why when we take a look at why Benjamin is going to preach what he preaches, it's because of the failing that happens on the high priest's side. They're going to completely fall off the map. Okay, as the people get more wicked. In fact, that line kind of ends all, all together. And we're, we're deep now in spiritual apostasy. And this will run about 250 years. So the kings are running. We don't know exactly how all, what all is going on with them. But we're going to get Mosiah. And then he's going to flee to the land of Nephi. He will then hand off to who? Benjamin, right? Okay. What about our high priest? Well, there is the question. Okay, so let's let's actually before we go there, let's hop over. Let's go ahead and dive into. Um, yeah. The land of ne- Hold on to that question, because the land of Nephi is the original inheritance. This is where we are. Okay. That uh, no, the Mulekites are in Zarahemla. Okay, so that's why I say, keep keep all this in mind. Let's go to Omni. And verse three you got two hundred and seventy-six years have passed away. Many seasons of peace. Seasons of serious war, 280, you just go along, and then we get to about 5, verse 5, it came to pass that 320 years had passed away, and notice what happens. The Lord says the more wicked of the the Nephites were destroyed, and and think back to the, the parable of the vineyard, and we start getting this pruning thing, and they start kind of, the more wicked get whacked off here, okay. For the Lord wasn't going to suffer that they are going to be led out of Jerusalem. And seven, he did visit them in great judgment. He did spare the righteous that they should not perish. Now, I want you to see, and it's really stark if you'll see this for what it is. You're going to see how the priestly line has died off. And the, And if the Lord is going to begin a restoration work, because that's what we're going to talk about. There's been an apostasy. How do I restore a kingdom again to a people deep in apostasy? Now, we should understand this... <coughs> Excuse me. When you think about having our own experience with the restoration in Joseph Smith. This is the parallel. People deep in apostasy that have some knowledge, some understanding, but how do I bring them back completely to the gospel of Christ? So look at this. This is fascinating to me. <coughs> 11. And behold, the, king, the record of this people is engraven upon the plates which is had by the kings. The kings keep the, the main records. What were the high priests hanging on to? What records? The The brass plates and specifically the small plates
1: plates
0: that Nephi had started. So the very sacredest writings, is that a word, sacredest? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: More sacred, yes. (laughs) The sacredest writings are on the small plates. and And the kings are writing on the big plates. Okay, the history. And Moroni, or Mormon when he was abridging, had access to both, by the way. But here's what coming from the small plates. So it's passed to Abinadam and Chemish. And, you know, and we're, taking, we're fighting. The record of this people, verse 11, is engraven upon the plates which is had by the kings according to generations. And look at this statement. I know of no revelation save it which has been written, neither prophecy. Therefore that which is written is sufficient. In other words, this, this holder now of the small plates says there is no revelation going on. The only revelations that we have are the prophecies from ancient. There's nothing going on here. Nothing to see. Walk away. And so I'll finish my writing. See you. Now. His son Malachi says. Behold let me speak unto you concerning Mosiah. Who was made king over the land of Zarahemla. But he didn't start in Zarahemla. He says, for behold, he was warned of the Lord. Wait, stop. I thought there were no revelations going on. He's warned of the Lord. How'd that happen? When the Lord was going to provide revelations that something needs to happen, who's he going to go take it to? And apparently the, the only prophet in town, which is this point, he's having to not go to the priestly line because they've died out. He's going to have to take it to the king who is most open Spiritually, we don't. So something has happened here. We don't have this story. How it is that Mosiah the first got what the high priests weren't getting? But he is a righteous man, and he's hearing, and he's going to hearken, and he's going to respond. But there is a story here of how, after years of apostasy, Mosiah, We don't know if he had a vision or whatever it is. But guess what? He doesn't even have the small plates yet. So, yeah. yeah. So here's another sign. That, thank you, Deb. That here's another sign that says apostasy has happened. In other words, some in some way the line of kings has kind of ended because they're not carrying out that that name of Nephi, which says they're probably not carrying out the traditions of Nephi. Probably a really good sign of that. Okay, but something has happened here we don't have this story and for whatever reason Mormon didn't tell us uh, or there is another and this is what makes this worse we probably d- did have this story and it was probably contained in the 116 pages that were lost by Lucy Harris or st- stolen and burned by Lucy Harris Martin Harris's wife uh, that would tell this story because we're just about to wrap up what we have, the part that was covered by the 116 pages mm-hmm. back in the day. Yeah.
1: I have a gap in my understanding of, about Nephi and Jacob. Yeah. yeah. You're the record shows that Nephi dies 541 B.C. But we get all the way to apparently 441 B.C. with Jacob. That's another 100 years after Nephi died. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what... the If you look at the chronolo- chronologically, that's basically what they're saying in the Book of Mormon. So, there, so he went down
1: with a lot of kings.
0: Yeah, exactly. So he's kind of the high priest. And somewhere... And it says... So it's kind of a Jacob and Enos kind of thing, and we're not sure. So he was very long-lived then. Yeah, he probably was. And he comes in pro- kind of late in the game because we don't know how long into the wilderness that Jacob was born uh, after Nephi... And so we don't know what kind of gap there was between Nephi and Jacob, but probably long lived. But somewhere that Jacob and Enos priesthood line, priest line is holding on here. Now, look at what's happening here though. So somewhere there is a restoration that begins, and it begins with Mosiah. We don't know if it's, now my guess is, history says, there might have been an angel involved to teach him probably what he didn't know. Uh, when it talks about the Lord warned him, that was probably an angel or a vision or something that begins to prepare to take a people out of apostasy and bring them to the gospel. Now, let me stop here for a second because this is where I believe, look at the history, but don't forget that this is about us. That in each of us, there has to be this journey that we're going to go from our own natural manness. And, we, and, the his, and the traditions of the fathers around us. And we're going to walk ourselves into the gospel. Or for every missionary that's out there. How do we take somebody steeped in traditions. And how do we move them from everything that they learned and believed. And we're going to bring them forward into gospelness. And that there has to be a period of time where we're slowly learned and change over time does that make sense and so what there's, this ought to be a very personal thing it's our own life watching ourselves as active Latter Day Saints becoming, leaving behind our more natural man and being converted but it's also converts being brought to the church and we're slowly trying to walk them in towards the gospel and bring them out of their own wilderness of apostasy and so the, we're going to try to make this very personal because I think that's the intent certainly of these prophets okay All right, so if we're going to look at it from that point, look at what happens here. I will speak unto you concerning Mosiah. Uh, Oh, before I do that, let's finish this off. And then we will. You begin to see why it might take two or three classes. (laughs) There's just too much. Uh, BYU a number of years ago did an entire conference just on on King Benjamin's address because there was just so much valuable knowledge contained here. Okay, so we're going to get King Benjamin, uh, and then the the line of the priests all the way over to a, a, a or Amalekite, and and this is this, he's not he's a little righteous but not much. He's following Mosiah, and when he when he's getting ready to die, he says, I really don't have a righteous heir. There's no other high priest to hand this to. So I'm going to take the small plates of Nephi, and I'm going to give them to King Benjamin. So we're going to have this little period of time where the high priest line and the king line is going to all land on King Benjamin. Now that's going to be... There's an important point coming up here. Stay tuned. okay? But it all lands on King Benjamin... And he now gets the small plates of Nephi, and he then will hand it off to Mosiah the Second. Questions on this? Awesome. All right. All right. So here we go. We're back. We're back here in Omni. We got Messiah who is made king over the land of Zarahemla. for behold, he's warned of the Lord that he should flee out of the land of Nephi. Stop. How many times in the scriptures do we have fleeing stories? Because there are, remember the script-if you if you would understand the scriptures, you would understand the patterns. And when you see a pattern and it repeats over and over. That then you're going to be taught about what to expect next, and it makes sense. So how many times in the Scriptures do we have fleeing patterns? Sometimes we're supposed to stand in holy places, but other times the Lord says, you must flee. Give me an example of fleeing. Abraham, Abraham had to flee. Abraham. And? Lehi. Lehi. Joseph. No. Joseph. Alma. Nephi. Listen. The saints. Mary and Joseph. Sure. Hold on to that. <laughs> Hold on to that. You're, you're you're I like the way you're thinking because you should be thinking that way. <laughs> Because that, that, that's going to be kind of important. But think about the fleeing for a second. Now, here's the pattern though. When you, have a say, you, when you have righteous people and where they live is no longer safe or healthy or spiritually strengthening to them, and the Lord is going to specifically tell us when that comes to do what? To flee. And we're going to flee to the promised land. Right? What stands between those that flee... And the promised land. The wilderness. If I'm in a bad place and the Lord says, like to, to Lehi, at the beginning of First uh, Nephi 8, in the tree of life. This is a dark place. Angel shows up. Let me lead you and we go into a wilderness. If we're where we are and we're comfortable and we're going to flee into the wilderness. Have we just gone to a place that is more comfortable or less comfortable? Less. Yes. The wilderness is less comfortable than where we are. And the promised land is not yet. The pattern is when the Lord tells us to move, He will take us from a place where we are comfortable to a place where we are less comfortable. We are going to go from a place where we felt safe, but we can't stay here anymore. And there's a promise of a promised land over there. But in the meantime, we have to travel through the wilderness and and oft times the Lord says move we move we get into the wilderness it's worse and we handle that wilderness how? (laughs) this was not fair or it was not right or at the very least the Lord told me to move this should be better it should be happier it should be safer did I not get the answer right? (laughs) <laughs> Maybe I moved, and because it's worse, that really wasn't the Lord that told me. So we start second-guessing the Lord because the wilderness is worse than where we were. There's the there's struggle, and we're not yet at the promised land. Let me just throw this out. Isn't the wilderness a place where you get rid of all the baggage that you had with you when
1: you were in the bad place? Oh,
0: the so, a wrath, wouldn't right? you think because I think that's true. Part of the part of the message of the wilderness for the saints going across the plains, for instance, was we end up stripping off a lot of things we thought we needed, turns out you didn't. Those that landed in the Salt Lake Valley after the journey, they were kind of hardened and down to the bare bones so that they could then grow. It's like it would almost be like we're talking about pruning again, wouldn't it? We're going to keep coming back to this thing. Y- years ago when I would, and I've talked about this before where I would have My clients, then I needed them to be able to help make bigger changes. And sometimes just sit doing talk therapy in an office ain't working very well. So I would take them out into the wilderness. And I I saw it very much as a wilderness allegory, an experience. We'd take them out into high adventure ropes courses. And I got into those enough that I was building them and, and working very closely. And what that would mean, for instance, give you an example... One of the high adventure ropes course things that I would do with my clients most often was what we called the ring. And the ring was this beautiful little place where we'd, I'd hook you into a harness and I'd give you a little helmet and I'd hook you onto the belay line. But then you would climb anywhere, based on the, the course I was using, anywhere from about 30 to 60 feet up into a tree. And you're walking on these little things to get up there. And then we would have a little perch. And it's just a little chunk of wood that we had nailed into the side of the tree and it was no more than about a foot at the most sticking out from this branch 30 or 50 feet up in the air. So you'd get up there and you'd stand on it. And you're just looking straight down. Okay? And then we had it devilishly set up. So there's a cable running across and uh, we had a big, bre- a big hoop that we were dangling from the cable, and it was set up so that I could move the hoop close or far away. And I would put it out there, and they would stand on the perch, and then we would start, That now the therapy would start. Let's talk. <laughs> Let's talk about what's going on in your life. Well, I've been depressed for a long time. Yeah, and, and here's what's been going on. Okay, got it. We talk about it, get into it. And it was funny when people would get up there. Now they're kind of disturbed. <laughs> We've, they're uncomfortable. And, and all the feelings would come pouring out. Then we'd say, now what would life look like not depressed? And they'd describe it. And I'd say, I want you to put it in the hoop. But just vision it in the ring, hanging out there from away from you. Can you see it? Yeah. Close your eyes. Visualize it. Yeah, I see it. What would it look like? Wonderful. I want That would be better than where I am. Yeah, where you are is kind of scary and it's uncomfortable. Yes, 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 yes. I say, okay, now go get it. Jump. Now you have to dive across space and go grab your new life with both hands. Sometimes it was sobriety if it was an addiction thing. Or sometimes it was a better marriage. Or it was getting rid of a bad habit or whatever. Very personalized. You put it there, but you're not going to get it sitting out here on the perch. You're going to have to fling yourself with all you've got across space, across the wilderness space, to go grab your promised land. And, it, the, and, and there was that fascinating moment always to me when I watch people still trying to hang on to the old and get ready to jump and go get the new. And they just want it, but it's frightening. And I need to change, but I don't think I can do it. Or I always learned that I could never do things like this. And, and there is that moment where you've got to leave your comfort and go to something new. And that's a very frightening place. But critical if you're gonna move forward. And that yeah I did something very similar to this. Someone Bob and I went leadership training Yeah. had to climb up a lot of the tree that was cut off at the top. Yes. Yeah. Climbed up just like you described it. Stand on top Yeah. and turn around and then I'm
1: supposed to leap for this trapping so I couldn't reach because I was it was interesting because of all the people that were below, everybody was doing it. The ones that, that were screaming, you know, come oh, on, you can do it, do stop, you can do it. The ones, the voices that meant the most to me were the group of men over here that had already done it. Yes. I believed
0: them because they, they had, had been over this space. Absolutely. Yeah, we used to do that one, and we would take a, a tree, and I wanted it to be flexible so it would move a little bit. Uh, and, and chop off the trough, and then we would take like a, a, it was a metal rod we would drive down there, and then we' put this this uh, bended metal flange on it that would rock, and then take the wooden pizza and we would put it on top of the metal flange. So when you climb up on top of it it 's rocking, and you just have to kind of stand there and, and you 're looking down it and it 's thirty feet down you 're going, ah! but then you 've got to dive. So where you're at is not comfortable, but to leave where you are that's not comfortable and dive across space and get to something, that promised land means you have to let go of where you are, okay? That is the wilderness experience, is I have to let go of where I am and trust and travel and go get something else. But the problem is the wilderness, The problem is, do we continue to trust the Lord while we're in the wilderness? He told me to accept this calling. He told me to get married. He told me to not get married. He's telling me to do this. He's telling me to do this. He's telling us that we're supposed to pack up our family and move. He's telling me that we have to do a variety of things. And we're having to prepare. And then we leave the comfortable place. And we're scared to death in the wilderness. (coughs) I picture for instance. One last thing on this. Uh, 1845. uh, The saints are in Nauvoo. They're getting ready to go to. To to pack up and go. They're starting to prepare. There are meetings going on in Carthage. And Warsaw. And um, Quincy where they're talking about, what do we do about the Mormon problem? Brigham Young says, you know what, we're going we're gonna to leave Nauvoo and we will go. So we'll get ready. Well, they weren't going fast enough, so right about January, December, January of 1845 into 1846, Governor Ford lets it slip out that maybe there might be mobs that might encourage the saints. So rather than leave in the springtime... That's why the saints suddenly then hurry and pack up and they line up Parley Street all the way down to the river and in, in, and the river freezes over a bit. First week of February, February 8th, 1846. the saints are leaving in the dead of winter to leave because they're afraid mobs are coming. And we're leaving the com- and we're going to get to the other side of the river, and we can literally be on our side of the river and look back and see the temple. And see our homes. And we're now over here in the... Because we had to get out of Nauvoo. And now we have to enter into the mud of March in in uh, Iowa. And they spent a month um, in mud trying to get like a couple hundred miles. Because they went from the safety and warmth here to the wilderness. And then ultimately to winter quarters. More wilderness before they're going to finally get to Salt Lake. And they have to create out of the wilderness... I mean, we get all that. But we get these wilderness experiences. Now, look at what? Go back to verse 12. The Lord warns them that they should flee out of the land of wilderness. And, and when we're told to flee, we need to do what? What's the next word? Hearken. Listen. Do what I ask you to do. Hearken unto the voice. And now he's going to tell you how, how, do, how do things work in the wilderness? Well, listen, he tells us. It came to pass that he, Mosiah, and according to the Lord commanded them, they departed out of the land into the wilderness. So they're leaving the land of their first inheritance, the land of Nephi. And they know they're heading out. I don't know whether they know that the Mulekites and Zarahemla is there, or if they're just heading out. We don't have that knowledge. But certainly, Mosiah is following the Lord. Okay? As many as would hearken unto the voice of the Lord. And they were led by what? What happens while we're in the wilderness? Preachings. And? Prophesying. You're going to make it. It will be okay. Yes, I know it's a wilderness. I know it was an abusive marriage. And it was really hard. And now you're divorced. You can make it. You can do this. I got you. It will get better. Really? No, it doesn't feel better. I know. It will get better. I didn't know I was supposed to accept this calling. I liked my old calling, and now I'm in the wilderness, and now I'm doing stuff that I'm unfamiliar with. Yeah, I know. But you'll be okay. Here's the promise. President uh, Jones, how much did you know about temple presidenting when you were called to be temple president? <laughs> <laughs> or now, <laughs> yeah. And he says it'll be okay. You'll figure it out as as you go along. Wow. Yeah. There, there's a okay. Step out of the comfort. We liked our. We're going to go from where we were to our mission. That was, We got comfortable with that. We're going to come home. Now we're good. We're we're back home. No. Go back out into the wilderness and go do something that you're not used to doing. Okay. Well, I think that that that's a tough one. Okay. So we get these calls. To do it, and we're in the wilderness. Where we're led by uh, preaching and prophesying, and then there's one more. And the, and the next word is admonishing. admonishing. Admonishing meaning what? Don't go here. I know you're in the wilderness. Don't go here. Move over here. Another word for admonishing would be correcting. If you'll stay with me in the wilderness, trust me, you're uncomfortable, you're kind of lost, but you're going to have to listen to me more closely and you've drifted too far this way so he's going to, So there's going to be preaching and prophesying and admonishing while we're in the wilderness. When we're in the season of our uncomfortable. When we're in the season of change while we're on our way to the promised land. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, so it works. They're going to get here. They're going to run into the people of Zarahemla. Gazinga. Look, there's more people here. And, and wow, these are, where'd they come from? And the people of Zarahemla are coming from who? They're descended from? Mulek. And Mulek is the son of? Zedekiah. They're Israel. Wow, it's, it's our people. We found our peeps. Although from a tribe standpoint, this becomes kind of important. The people of Lehi, the, tri- the seven tribes of Lehi, we take out Zoram for a second. The tribes of Le- the trees, uh, the trees, tribes—they're <laughs> trees. The tree tribes of Lehi come from what tribes? Joseph and meaning Ephraim and Manasseh. Lehi was Manasseh. Uh, Ishmael was Ephraim. So these are Josephites. What are they running into? Who are the people of Mulek? They're Judah. Okay, these are our our Israelite buddies. But we're also different tribes. You're going to watch real closely what happens with Judah. Because I believe, just as a a tip-off... I believe this is where the king men will come, will show up in the in Nephite history because they are of Judah, the kingly line of David, and they're gonna believe, they're gonna have a belief going forward that they are entitled to be the kings, and the Ephraimites are gonna be usurpers. Just as a side note. Okay. Alright. Now. I want, there's one other thing before we get out of Omni. You didn't know there was that much of this in Omni, did you? you just like, <laughs> let's hop over Omni so we can get to Mosiah. Because Mosiah is where the cool stuff happens. No, there's, but wait, there's one, there's one other piece here. Before we leave Omni. <laughs> okay, so he's going to say, yep, yeah, they made it. Uh, oh, by the way, and I love this part, the last line of fourteen. Uh, there's great rejoicing among the people of Zarahemla. Zarahemla did rejoice exceedingly because the Lord had sent the people of Messiah with the plates of brass that contained the records of the Israelites. No, oh, for these Mulekites, it's the history of who? It's the Jews. It's the history of the Jews. It's our people. It's our genealogy. Well, no, actually, a lot of the brass plates is the northern tribes because uh, we believe that uh, Zenus and Zenoch and, and Nam and those guys that, that was the northern tribe stuff but to these people of Zarahemla most importantly these brass plates contained their genealogy so where's my genealogy fanatics in the room? tell me you wouldn't be freaking out about now <laughs> they've got the brass plates of who? oh my gosh there's more names <laughs> wow here it is Okay. So, they, they can, it's the brass place that contain the record of the Jews. Wow. And they discover, yeah, they came across. Uh, they, they were more numerous, but they didn't have records. So they've got problems, no language. Uh, 18, Mosiah's going to teach them they should be taught the language. Uh, and it, uh, 19, it came to pass the people of Zerahamon. They did unite together under Mosiah. And there's a large stone that brought. We could take a lot of time on that one, but I want you to see I want you to see one of the pieces here. And it comes right at the air. Uh, now, 27. This is Malachi's last words. Now I speak concerning a certain number who went in into the wilderness, meaning they went back into the wilderness. The Lord took us out of a place of danger, spiritually and physically. He led us with prophesying and admonishing and everything to get us to the land of Zarahemla. We found our promised land. We found our peaks. Here we are. Life is good. And then there's a certain amount of people that will then say, Now, you know what? We're going to go where? Back into the wilderness from whence we've come. Uh, and their leader being a strong and mighty man, N.A. There, okay, there's your clue. Stiff neck, cause of contention, they fight. 29, they come back. Uh, Zenith is going to now lead this group, this is who this is. Came to pass that so they took others, considerable number, and took their journey again into the wilderness. Now, stop for a second. Because this occurs right now, think about what chunk of the Book of Mormon involves this people that go back. This people that go back into the wilderness and as a result of that, we're now going to get the stories of what? Alma, Alma, Abinadi, Noah. King Noah, Limhi, the, the daughters of the Lamanite dancing around, the wars... All of this kind of stuff. All comes because these people went bad. So here's my question. How come a people who were in relative danger. And go through the perils of the wilderness. And cross the wilderness. And finally find the promised land. Why would they turn around and go back into the wilderness. To find the land of their inheritance. Even though the Lord just gave them a new land. ...more better inheritance. Why would they go back? Family? There might have been some family... ...that didn't come with Mosiah... ...in the first place. Are, are they hoping to recapture... ...what... ...the good old days? Have you ever... ...have you ever... ...started off on... on ...January 1st... ...and made your New Year's resolutions... And I'm going to now cross the wilderness of my weight, and I'm now going to make all of these great changes to the promised land of the skinnier me. Why in the end, and you start to lose weight? Why at anywhere, and you've got these new habits, and you're like working out and sweating every day, and you're eating carrots at night, and you know, and you're just doing all this kind of stuff. Why after you have crossed? The wilderness, and now you're seeing a new promised land and a new inheritance, why would you turn around and go back into the wilderness and, and go back on all the stuff that you just changed? Somebody gave you a piece of chocolate. Somebody gave you a piece of chocolate, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you go, dang, there's the good old days. I remember the chocolate. I'm going back there. Okay, why do we do that? There was a sense that we were more, it was kind of the good old days. There's a sense that says, I, I, I I wish we could have, think of Laman and Lemuel. Oh, that we could have, that we're out here in the wilderness, and our father has a weird dream, and because of that, we could have been back in Jerusalem enjoying our Xboxes, and we would be happy. Yeah, because sometimes that wasn't... And sometimes that's the problem, isn't it? I'm now in the promised land. I thought that the the losing the weight would make me happy. More plastic surgery will make me happy. Making more money will make me happy. And it turns out that's not the source of our unhappiness. But so we're going to tend to then say, even though some some aspects of this are better, I actually am going to go back on my old habits and go back to what I knew because that's where I was happy. Except you left it. (laughs) In the first place, you went left it. But when we're in this place and we changed, we think we'll go back into the wilderness because we'll be happier there. Um, that's why we're supposed to remember, 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 remember all the time, a non-profit. But just to kind of illustrate your point, point, I watched
1: a show that I really love, just because it's kind of filled that I want to go into, and it's called My Six Hundred Pound Life. Um, I'm not going to do be Yeah. Most of them
0: go right back. Yeah. Today right. Is because it's such, <coughs> you know, the, the life has to. I've, I've thought about that. They had a show, TV show, The Swan. Anybody remember The Swan? It was from a few years ago. And they would take somebody that you know had. Overweight and horrible teeth and bad complexion and stuff like that, and they were and, and and they would like haul them off to Hollywood for like two months, and we're going to do plastic surgery and dental stuff, and we're going to turn them from an ugly duckling into a swan. And now there comes the great reveal, and now they are awesome and wonderful and beautiful. And I and I and I keep praying that they will have a sequel to that, because that doesn't necessarily change their self-esteem and who they are and their patterns. It just, the, the only reason I say this is. That I think it points out to each one of us that says, when we make changes in our life, we need to have time to let the changes sink in. It doesn't automatically change everything about us. We have to have time. And King Benjamin's address is about to address time and moving people coming out of apostasy.
1: I think there's always a higher expectation, too, once you go to that better place. either. Other people have a bigger expectation of you, or you have a bigger expectation of yourself. When that doesn't just happen,
0: yeah. it's... Because we have short timer. I'm in the promised land, I should be happier. Yeah. And we haven't necessarily fundamentally changed. It's one of the things that I see with those that I'm working with with addictions, is that they will get going for a while, and they're doing great, and then they have a relapse... And that relapse is kind of important at that moment. Either I'm now gonna go back to it because I was happier when I was using, or I see it as a temporary relapse, I turn back to the Lord, I get back on the horse as quickly as possible. And it's really a critical time when we get to relapses. Yeah. In, in fact, why
1: would they leave? Um every
0: every presidential election it that there are people who say, if that person, whoever it is, is elected, yeah. I'm leaving the, the country. country. Yeah.
1: Yeah. was something I there was something that was the in making They think be better
0: for Most of the time that's by the way, that's when we go into the wilderness most of the time, for most of us, to try and make changes in our life when we are discontented where we are. And there's a reason why we move, why we're willing to take a change. Or at the very least, it's the Lord that says, while you're sitting in fast and testimony meeting, and you're enjoying the fast and testimony meeting, and the Spirit says, You go bear your testimony. And you go, No, I'm comfortable right here. <laughs> and so, No, I'm good, Lord. They're fine. No, go bear your testimony. No, I don't want to do that. And then he uncomforts you, stirs you up to where you go, okay, you know, and you'll see people like reluctantly drag their little selves up here. I don't know why I'm here and this mirror like kick me out of my bench. Okay. All right. So anyway. So one, one last thing here that we, we need to take a look at. One last thing. About 50 things. We're about to find here, and I just want to—I want to finish off this thing—that what we're going to find here is that the kingly line, when they're going to finally get here to Zarahemla, from King Benjamin to Mosiah, they're going to need an introduction of a high priest. Where's the—who is the next high priest for these people in Zarahemla? It's Alma. The Lord is going to go out to one of the trees in his vineyard and he's going to bring a tame olive branch and he's going to come and graft it in over here. And that's going to say some things about the kind of priesthood power that King Benjamin has, by the way. Because the high priest is not on the the spot yet. He has to be brought in from the outside. Okay, So it's going to be Yalma. And, the Lord went, and, and we're going to find out that King Benjamin is going to die. My, my math this week tells me that King Benjamin dies and Alma shows up a year later. That at the very least, Alma is four years away from coming into Zarahemla at the time of the King Benjamin address. The pro, they're being prepared for the prophet. Benjamin is filled with the spirit of Elias to prepare the people for Alma. To come and organize the church. And begin baptizing. But, it, it, but that time is not yet yet. Yeah. Are you
1: saying
0: that. They may not. We actually don't have an indication. That we don't know. There's a big question mark here. But there's going to, we're, going to, we're about to find. That there's a big part of King Benjamin's address. That gets completely left out. And it's in every other address. Through the whole book of Mormon. Baptism. It's not there. And as soon as Alma shows up, he's baptizing like crazy. So that's a... That, and we're going to probably get into more of that t- next week. Yeah? Where did Alma get his ah, ha, ha! Yes, there's a question. I think I've told the story before, have I not? About the... Uh, in the early days of the uh, uh, African church, and, and the saints were joining in Africa, but they didn't yet have any priesthood or anything. And, and President McKay sends uh, an emissary... There's one of the secretaries of the First Presidency. And he spends hours with all of these guys in Africa. This is like in the eight, in 1950s. And, and, they've got, and they've been studying the Book of Mormon. And they're calling themselves saints. And they've got letterhead with Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Ghana branch, you branch. Know, and there's just hundreds of them. There's an entire stake that's really kind of been organized. And he gets them in there. And he gives this long thing. And then, and then this, this emissary to uh, thousands of these African members says, Now, do you have any questions? That was their first question. Where did Alma get his priesthood from? And that's the point where that emissary from the first presidency goes, Wow, these guys aren't just here for the welfare dollars or something like that. These are well-studied, understanding saints. And they're asking questions we're asking in Utah. Yeah. They weren't members yet. They, couldn't be, they hadn't been baptized. But they, had, they were organizing branches with letterhead and everything and, say, and studying the Book of Mormon and they had, you know. Anyway. But that, that is the question we're about to get to there. Are you going to discuss the, the parallel between or the importance that we had to have a republic for the gospel to be restored it's similar to the United not, States and Josephine? Not, not today. <laughs> 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 it, it, it. Yes. <laughs> okay. So I need you to see what's about to happen here. Yeah.
1: Was baptism mentioned anywhere in the Book of Mormon before Alma?
0: Yeah, it is. And that's why if you are going all the way through Jacob and, and all those, it's always the way. And we're going to enter in by the way, and baptism is the way. And, and 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 so part of the apostasy that we're going to see is that stuff is lost, and the Lord has to restore a prophet to bring it back.
1: They teach baptism.
0: Yeah, but somehow that got... Because the early <coughs> Nephi had it, Jacob had it, their Enos, they all get it. It's gone by the time it, we think it gets to Messiah and King Benjamin. And now before they're getting ready to be baptized, that in essence, if I, if I ruin all of next week's lesson, King Benjamin's address is a pre-baptism address. King Benjamin's address is how do we take an apostate people and teach them all the things that... fact we may have time to start touching on that hold on to that it's a pre-baptism address to get them ready for baptism okay now before one more thing I want to mention about King Benjamin I told you there was a lot here right (coughs) and the more we get into that's why it's just fabulous how much meat is in this little area uh, to just kind of glean and see what's going on but I need you to see the great merge Uh, so we're going to have the Nephites Ephraim and Manasseh are going to come into Zarahemla. They're going to meet with the Mulekites, Judah, and and the guy that's already got them there is King Mosiah. Was he born Mosiah or was Mosiah a form of Moses? We don't know. Or was he given Mosiah and it was kind of a prophetic thing? But I don't think it's an accident that the prophet that will lead them through the wilderness... To the promised land is a Mosiah, Moses-like... I just don't think that's an accident. Okay? Now, stay with me on this. So the, the line of the kings always says, if, if I'm going to be a Nephite tradition, Mosiah's son, the next king, should be named what? Mosiah, because that's how it works. And in fact, who is the next Mosiah? Mosiah. His grandson. So they, it looks like to a certain extent there and by the way, and now it'll end with that because Messiah the second will go, kings can be really bad, let's do chief judges. What so who is in between this Messiah and Mosiah the second? Benjamin. Benjamin. That should be Mosiah the second, should it? And the next one should be Messiah the third. Why? Why would the next king be Benjamin? We don't know. Here's the clue, here's here's the here's the suggestion of an off, kind of most BYU scholars, and certainly it's, it's what I believe for a long time. Um, in the in the days of the of, of Israel. And you had the northern tribes up here. And you had Judah down here. And now we're going to unite these Judah with Israel. We're going to bring them together. And they're going to be under one king. Who was that king? Saul was the king. What tribe was Saul from? Benjamin. Benjamin. ...that we're going to have a Benjamite... ...unite king, unite her... ...of Judah and Israel coming together. So, was Benjamin born Benjamin? Might have. But what is more likely to me is that whatever his name was when he was born... ...there's a pretty good chance that his king name that he took on... ...was probably Benjamin. It would have been a message to Judah and to the Israelites that as we looked at the brass plates and the history of Israel that this is a uniting of, of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Judah. And we're coming together under Benjamin. Wow! And his mother probably was a Benjamin. Could have been. Yeah. Okay, so that, that's basic. So even though you've got Benjamin who, who is uh, if he is part of Messiah and Messiah is a Nephite he may be an Ephraimite. Don't know. But we just know that, the, anyway, that I, I just think there's a good, pretty good chance. Benjamin was a symbol, the name Benjamin was a kingly name to suggest that we're uniting two different large tribes, right?
1: Does
0: that make sense? Okay. Probably doesn't excite you as much as it does me, but I just think it's awfully dangerous. Cool. All right then. Um, yeah, let's do this. Let's hop over now to to Words of Mormon because we're going to get one last piece here. I need you to see the size of the battle that King Benjamin is fighting. Because again, when we talk about this kind of being the anatomy of a restoration, we're trying to take a people out of deep apostasy and he's trying to prepare them for the kingdom of God. And so there's all of these preliminary things that need to be. We need to, and we need to bring these tribes together, and we need to get along. And look at what he's having to do.
1: Okay.
0: You can go away, thank you. I have a doctor's appointment. <laughs> uh, and now, concerning this King Benjamin, words of Mormon, so. And by the way, this is now the first time in the Book of Mormon we now have the words of Mormon, who's now starting the abridgment. Because remember, when we start Messiah first, this is the first that we have of Mormon's abridgment of the Book of Mormon. And we believe it's probably the first translation between Joseph and Oliver. This is probably where they started with Messiah 1. The 116 pages went up to Messiah 1. Okay. All right. Twelve. Now concerning this king Benjamin, he had somewhat of contentions among his people. <laughs> yes, we're trying. So, so part of welcome to the wilderness. Now you're in your promised land. You now have a new calling. You're now, you're now the you're now the king. You're now your job is to unite them. How's the uniting going? Well, President, it's kind of rough. It's a bit hard. Uh, came to pass, so he's got one group, it came to pass that the armies of the Lamanites came down out of the land of Nephi. Oh, well, we're going to find out why when we start talking about what happens with Limhi and, and all that. But they're going to come all the way, they're going to cross the wilderness to still because there's Xenophon, Limhi and their people, but they, not, they don't have the records and the plates. The thieves, the Nephite thieves that stole our birthright are down in Zarahemla, and now we know where they are. So the Lamanite army is going to kind of sweep down there. And King Benjamin has got to fight them. He has to stand against them. And he has to stand in the strength of his own arm. And as part of this uniter, he's going to reach into antiquity. And what is he going to use to defend the sword of Laban? That is, he could have used any sword. He probably had to go to the museum to get it. Or pull it out of a rock. I don't know, but he's having. There it is. It's it's the sword of Laban, and he's going to use it to defend. And I think, and and so think about the tradition. It says there's this new king, and he's fighting him in Zarahemla. And what sword does he have? Sword of Laban. Wow. Symbolically, that's just powerful. Nephi defended him with the king with the sword of Laban, and King Benjamin's doing the same thing. Uh, okay, so he's going to defeat them. Strength of the Lord to contend. They slain many. It came to pass that he contended with Lamanites. So they were driven out of the lands of their inheritance. It's our inheritance. Zarahemla is now our inheritance. It's not our old inheritance back in the land of Nephi. Zenith, knock it off. It's our, we have a new land of inheritance and it's Zarahemla. But they're going to drive them out of the land of their inheritance. Okay, so we got that battle. So sometimes our battles are on the outside. They're outside forces attacking us. When it comes to the church, are we attacked by outside forces? We certainly are. Okay, And we stand up with the spiritual sword of Laban and we say no, and here's our, the sword of our testimony, and we say we love you and care about you, but no. Now, where's the next battle coming from for, for Benjamin? Inside. 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 12. And it came to pass that uh, there had been false Christs, and their mouths had been shut, and they punished according to their crimes. They have internal dissension that starts rising up. Now, had we false Christs, what law are they living? Law of Moses. Do we know how the law of Moses dealt with false prophets? Yeah, it could be harsh. And it says they were dealt according to their crime. There had been false prophets and false preachers and teachers and many dissensions away unto the Lamanites. In some ways, again, I believe that our our larger battles in in terms of maintaining our kids and moving the church forward, we, we we have been harmed in far greater ways, not by outside forces against the church. The greater damage is always done inside out. And that's really what he's having to battle. The people that want to leave the church and go off to the Lamanites just false Christ. so they're saying, I am Christ. Basically when they're saying, I am Christ, they're saying, I know more than the prophets. I know more. I really do. I'm really smart. And I think the prophets kind of dotty. He's kind of old and he's an old guy and what would he know? And King Benjamin is having to fight outside forces and inside forces. And he's a holy man and he reigns in righteousness and there were many holy men that going been teach with power and with authority. There's spiritual authority there. Uh, they use much sharpness and with these by laboring with his mind of his body and the faculty of his whole soul. Wow. Wow to establish peace in the land. So I just think that the task for King Benjamin is to have these competing forces, some from the outside, some from the inside, and just trying somehow to move this people to righteousness. Let me give you an example. Back in church history, and, and we know this, uh, it's fascinating that when the church is in New York and they send, and Joseph sends Oliver Cowdery and uh, several others off to find uh, Zion. And they and they cross down out of New York and they go through Ohio and they land in Kirtland because uh, Parley Pratt knows about Sidney Rigdon. They're going to go in and they're going to talk to Sidney. Sidney's a preacher in Kirtland and suddenly inside like three weeks... Everybody catches fire, and, and within a month, there are more members in Ohio than there are in New York. There are three branches up here. We've got this massive branch in Kirtland. And ultimately, when things get so bad in New York, where does the church move? Kirtland. So now we're going to bring these people from the wilderness. We're going to walk them down into Kirtland, and here they are. But the problem with the people in Kirtland is that they are believers. They're pumped, and... They have their traditions. They have their traditions of their fathers. And it's going to take a while for Joseph to work with them and move them from the traditions of their fathers and move them to the right traditions. So an example. They would hold a sacrament meeting in Kirtland. They would talk about the spirit. And we're talking about spiritual gifts in Kirtland. And they would and the people there under Sidney Rigdon really knew yes, we know about spiritual gifts. We love spiritual gifts. And the spiritual gifts were Pentecostal like. So let's talk about the Holy Ghost. Yes, and they're jumping up and they're running up and down and and they're going crazy and they're flipping in the air and they're you know and and uh, I've mentioned before one of those that that always makes me smile but now they've learned about the Book of Mormon let's mix the Book of Mormon tradition with our Pentecostal like (laughs) spiritual tradition so in the middle of the sacrament meeting there would be men that would jump into the aisle and they start and they start rowing down the middle of the aisle spiritually, I'm going to the Lamanites, I'm going to the promised land, I'm going to find it, you know, and they're just all this kind of excitement stuff, and part of what Joseph was having to do is calm them, (laughs) settle them down. (laughs) And, And yes, you have wonderful traditions, and they're not quite right. We're going to have to slowly move you to where you understand how spiritual gifts really work. Well, that's kind of what they were getting in Sarah Hamlet. We're trying to move them to a new tradition. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. How it says in uh, verse sixteen, mm-hmm. to that he manually assisted the holy prophet for the people. Yes. So you said that, I, thought the there I think they're they're a holy men, but we don't have a high priest. We don't have a high priest capable. In uh, fact, let me do this. Uh, it's in. Give you an idea of how these guys saw it. Yeah, holy, I think, at that point doesn't necessarily mean priesthood. Priesthood could be, yeah.
1: Okay, I'm getting a little bit confused. Because yes, sir. If we go forward to when Alma is given authority to organize the church, yes. the scripture says plainly that Mosiah gave him power and authority to ordain priests and teachers.
0: Yeah, I think he's giving him the. Uh, the permission, and, and and you know what, president could very well be that.
1: So when they say that when Benjamin said that there are people that have power and authority, should we be dismissing the word authority and just saying?
0: No, probably not. That and that's and that's certainly a, a way of looking at it. There. Because there's
1: another line that comes through that says that up until that time, none except who were descendants of Nephi were given uh, the uh, ability to be king. Yeah, so I, I like to think that there was a patriarchal line. Yeah, and then when the church was formally organized, there was a there was an institutional organization line, and maybe Mosiah formally separated the patriarchal line, which is why, the, why his children wanted to go reclaim, could it, perhaps the Lamanites because that was family. Yeah. versus
0: the church. I don't know. I and, and that and that makes and that makes plenty of sense to me. And that, that could very well be that. Could very well be that. Okay, uh, let's let's hop over to.
1: We got 15 minutes,
0: and we made it to Mosiah (laughs) one. Yay! Yay. Okay, we should be yes. Okay. Now, uh, one kind of finish. uh, Let's let's do this. Hmm. All right. So now we've got Benjamin on his. Um, he's about to die again. He's three years away from death. Four years, three years away from death. And it's time to hand off the kingdom, and he's going to hand it to Messiah. When, it, when, and under what circumstance would he would he do that? Well, we need to recognize again that these are Jews, or these are Israelites. They're living the law of Moses. They understand it like nobody else does, that the law of Moses leads to to Christ. And so now what we're going to get the... uh, We need to understand the the, uh, Israelite festivals that they would celebrate as believing Israelites. In the first month of, of the year, I know it says seven, but the first month uh, is when they when celebrate Passover. When we get to the coming of the Savior in 3rd Nephi, which at this rate may be years from now, <laughs> um, it's going to make sense that that's probably right around the, the, the celebration of Passover. This time God won't pass over them; he's going to be in their midst. But the, the most sacred uh, festivals for all, for all uh, uh, Judaism now is, actually takes place around the seventh month. It's late September, October. And now we're going to get what the, what's called the High Holidays. Okay? And there are three festivals during the High Holidays. Uh, and the first month is, is Rosh Hashanah. It, it's the new year. We're going to celebrate the new life of things. Okay. And by the way, this is traditionally, if you're gonna if you're gonna bring in a new king, now's the time. That's why it is. By the way, if we take a step backwards, the thing that was interesting about the Savior when he let in the last week of his life, and he finally comes into. Uh, Jerusalem the last time just before he's going to be crucified and remember the people all line up and they bring out the olive branches and they're all waving and they're bringing in the new king well the funny thing is this is Passover they're doing this at but it is the feast of tabernacles it's during the high holidays that they will bring out the olive branches or when they institute a new king very interesting mix of festivals for the Jewish people they're doing it at the wrong time. But it was a direct message to say, but we know that we have a new king that's entering in among us. So if, if, if Benjamin is going to bring in a new king, he's going to stay within the, the uh, Israelite festival commands of Deuteronomy. So we're going to get the first month, Rosh Hashanah, marked by the blowing of the trumpets. Trumpets traditionally, here comes the new prophet, or the waving of olive branches. In the tenth month, uh, you're getting Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Remember, this is traditionally that that day where the th- this is where uh, uh, John the Baptist's father uh, Zacharias.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It, that's when he can't talk. Because the, the, the Day of Atonement, the, 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 uh, the high priest is supposed to come out and say some things. There's some things he's supposed to say. Well, this is the Day of Atonement. This is the day where the sins of the people are collectively uh, sacrificed on the altar by the goat that is sprinkled, the blood, and all that. Okay. Well, this is... So Yom Kippur. And it's a, so we get a mix of these festivals. There is uh, Yom Kippur, or Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and the final one is uh, the feast of ingathering or Sukkot. a Sukkot, a, a, a Sukkot is a shelter. It is the tabernacle. And this is, and, and what what are we celebrating? And th- think about what has just happened with these people and the crowd. We're, we're celebrating what? Why are they in a Sukkot? What's the tabernacle? In this case. This celebrates the Jews, the the Israelites, as they're coming out of Egypt. And they're in the wilderness. And they're living in uh, Sukkot. in In a little thatched shelter. That if you are an observant Jew today... During Sukkot, during the Feast of Tabernacles, you'll actually go out in your backyard and you create a little uh, shelter out of uh, wood, and it has to be thatched so that you can actually see the stars up through there because they believe that the stars were the heaven to that. We're looking up at the heaven, and we're going to have dinner. And guess what else we do? We invite the poor. What we're going to be—it's an outpouring of kindness. Feast of Atonement is also part of. We got to be poor and give alms to the poor and take care of things, but sukkot is invite them to your meal. Come to our sukkot. And who is in their sukkot? Well, if you don't have the poor, at the very least you have your family. Or your neighbors. And we're going to eat and dwell inside our little shelter and by, and so here's the entrance to our shelter. Where do we point the shelter? To the temple. So, when we're going to talk about what, at the beginning of... When they're, when they're all asked to show up to hear King Benjamin's last address... They took the firstlings of their flocks... ...that they might sacrifice and burnt offerings... ...according to the law of Moses. They're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. But but if you listen to King Benjamin's address... ...he is pulling in elements of Yom Kippur... ...and they are anointing a new king... ...which is giving you some idea of Rosh Hashanah. It's a combination of all of these. Trying to say there's a new beginning... ...and part of the new beginning is you're gonna, we're gonna, there's going to be atonement made. And guess what? We're going to give you a new name and a new start and a new kingdom. And we're going to offer sacrifices. And the best way to do that is you build your shelter because even though our, in the same way that our, our forefathers came out of Egypt, guess what? Our immediate forefathers under Moses, Mosiah, crossed the wilderness and now we've come to our promised land. It's a mix of all of these beautiful concepts coming into his address. Okay? All right. Um, and they gave thanks. They had come out of their enemies. And they were taught to keep the commandments of God. Uh, that they, And the purpose of all of this, at the bottom of verse 4, uh, they were taught to keep the commandments of God that they, okay, and we stop here, For all these people now gathered out of your wilderness experience, you've come into the church and now you're taught to keep the commandments. And if we're going to say to somebody who's getting ready to join the church, why do we keep the commandments? We're now being told. What's the purpose of keeping the commandments? That they may rejoice and be filled with love towards God and all men. Isn't that a beautiful description? When your kids are wondering how come how come we keep the commandments, it's so that we'll love God more. It's how we show our love to God, and and how we express that. It is a symbol. Why do we partake of the sacrament? It's a sign that we are that we love God. He's asked us to do this, and we're going to follow through. When when we stood uh, in state conference and we sustained a new state presidency, how do we tell the Lord? And the Lord has called a new state presidency in the Plano State. How do we tell? How do we signify to the Lord and to the new presidency that we love them and we support them? What's the What's the sign? There it is. It's an outward manifestation. Uh, that we will love and support, and we're going to, and it's a very public kind of thing. We're going to let people know. If if everybody voted against a new state presidency, would they still be the state presidency? Yeah, <laughs> they would. The Lord's called them. It's our it's our outward manifestation of saying we will support, we will be there. We love we love the Lord, and we're going to do it. And we have a number of signs, and we're going to start talking about this next week there's another sign that we're going to give to God that we're willing to love and serve Him. And guess what that sign is? Baptism. Baptism is the outward sign of keeping the commandment that we're going to follow Him. And by doing that, He can then meet that with a, a, a cleansing by fire and a remission of our sins. That's where we're going to go. Okay. You've been swimming enough today? Yeah. F- 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 feel like you got kind of, uh, didn't confuse you too much? Okay. Um, now, all this point, we have not, so, the idea to, uh, for next week is we're going to start with King Benjamin's uh, proclamation. And I want you to be aware of two things while you're looking at it. Number one, this becomes not just a wonderful sacrament meeting talk. King Benjamin's address is going to do two things. One, I think it's preparation for baptisms and things that are to come. Number one. Also he's putting forth a, a uh, constitution of how society lives and how society will get along. And I want you to keep aware there are going to be five laws and these five laws will be taught when, when uh, Ammon goes up and teaches the people of Limhi they will teach the five laws When the other Ammon goes to the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, he will teach the five laws. There are going to be five constitutional laws that as a people we follow. And we all learned it from King Benjamin's address. And guess what? There's even threads of King Benjamin's address when Samuel the Lamanite is preaching just before the coming of the Savior. You can actually find the five laws and you can find threads of King Benjamin's address even in Samuel Lamanite's direction. It will be for the next couple of hundred years the law that they live by and it's going to be the constitution established by King Benjamin. Have you
1: looked at the U.S. Constitution?
0: Yeah, <laughs> or, or, or our, our tax laws or something like that. No,
1: I'm serious. Have you looked at the
0: constitution? Oh, and against King Benjamin's address? Yeah. Really? See. I don't know. I'm, I'm asking. It's a fascinating thought, isn't it? Yeah, it
1: will be worthwhile. Well, if they were both set by God.
0: Oh, the Declaration of Independence. That, that That's an interesting thought. I can could, I could see some of that in the preamble. Yeah, okay. Th- thank you for that nice little side note. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, brothers and sisters, I, I, I bury my testimony. This, of, and, and again, oh, one last thing. And as wonderful and powerful and meaningful as this thing is, keep trying to picture... A, this coming from a 21-year-old boy in upstate New York with, with a fourth-grade education. It's just so laughable. that How powerful this thing is and how this, little, this guy in upstate New York sitting in a little thing in Harmony, at Pennsylvania, and they're riding away and they're going to nail exactly what needs to happen with Israelite festivals and the traditions, and continue those discussions on throughout the whole rest of the Book of Mormon. It's far too complicated to have been written by any one man. Bearing in my testimony, this is great stuff. uh, Study, have fun with it this week. uh, Do a little research online, see what you can find. uh, And we'll we'll continue it next week. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. amen. Amen. Amen.